It's good to be here with y'all. Now, I want to get things started. We have been, uh, those of y'all who've been with us the last uh, month or so know this, those of y'all who are visiting, we're doing this series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, going through each statement in the Creed. And so I want to start this service by all of us together, and you can remain seated, by stating the Apostles' Creed. You should have that in your bulletin or program, and then it should be up on screen. So if you will, there it is, if you will, let's join together and state this essential statement of our faith. Let's join together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 20. That's going to be our passage today. Uh, if you don't, we have Bibles for you, the table up there. Feel free to take one. Before we get into the Scripture passage, um, today, you know, it's, um, it's kind of like an Easter-themed message because we're focusing on the third day he rose from the dead. The third day he rose from the dead. Now, that is, that is most essential to our faith, the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. But it's been interesting for me to see, and different people I know who are Christians, that you know, two types of people really, really get excited about the resurrection. They're the new believers, people like new to the faith. And some of us may have like been in Sunday school all our life, but we come to know Christ fully later in life, are people who are very mature in their faith. But then others of us who are kind of like in that in-between state of maybe not necessarily new, but maybe not necessarily mature, sometimes the resurrection can just, I mean, almost like go over our heads. I mean, what I mean is like, oh yeah, you know, we know, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is alive, but it, it's not like, it's not like literal, it's not, it's not real to us, and we just glance over it, we take it for granted. I've taken it for granted. So this Sunday and next, kind of a, a two-part uh, themed, two sermons and I want to look at the resurrection and what it means, what the resurrection means. And part one, what I have to say today is the resurrection, I mean, it defines Christianity. But what it means is that Christianity is a living encounter with a living Savior. A living encounter with a living Savior. And we'll get into that, but let's read in John, John chapter 20, and I'm going to read verse 16 through verse 23. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen 
the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins from any, it is withheld. Let me say that again. Christianity is a living encounter with a living Savior. This week, we celebrate the 4th of July. And for many of us, our relationship with our nation, with our country, is a living relationship. I mean, it has to be a living relationship if there are people who will die for that relationship. And many have given their lives for this country. And so a lot of us, not only do we just live here, but we love our country. We love living here. We've grown up here. And it is this, it's this intangible living relationship. But you know, something else that we may not realize, but nations come and nations go in history. As in like the end of all time, heaven will be on earth and nations will no longer be. So when I say there's a living relationship with God, if we love our country and there's a living relationship there, how much more so a living relationship with the eternal God who has come to us in Jesus Christ and who will be with us for all eternity. I mean, just that, I, I can't even grab with that. I mean, a living relationship with our creator, our sustainer, the God of the universe. See, Jesus, if he was not raised from the dead, and he very much is, but if he was not, he would, you know, you could say he's a great man, great teacher, remember his words, remember his actions, remember what he taught. And a lot of people want to say, well, that's, that's what Jesus is about. But no, it's, I mean, it's, it's so much more. I mean, communicating, it doesn't even do it justice. He's alive. He's alive today. And I and we want you to have a, a living relationship with him. And the thing is, so many people actually don't. I mean, really, even, even people who profess Christians, even people who are Christians, they don't have a living encounter and a living relationship with Christ. I want you to look at this passage. It says here, verse 22, when Jesus saw his disciples, he breathed on them. He breathed on them. Why, why did Jesus breathe on people? Why did he breathe on his disciples? Think about it, and hopefully none of you ever had this experience, but it's summertime and there's swimmers, whether you're going to the beach, whether you're going to the lake, and if someone is drowning, what do you do? You, 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 know, you take them out, lay them down, and, and you breathe life into them. Genesis, very beginning of Genesis, it says God breathed life into Adam to save a life. And God forbid we don't have to do this, but we try to breathe life into them. And what did Jesus do? This is the first instance. I mean, 
at this point, I mean, Mary had seen him, but then since the doors were locked, Jesus was there, and he breathed on them. He was giving his followers, his disciples, life. See, before this time, the disciples, they'd followed him. They'd heard him, they'd listened to him. They'd sat at Jesus' feet. They'd even obeyed him. But they had not had a life-changing encounter, a living encounter, a soul-transforming and life-transforming encounter with Christ. I mean, up to this point, they weren't like going to start churches. They weren't proclaiming. They weren't going into all the world. Jesus had to breathe life into them. And then watch out. I mean, then the Holy Spirit's about to come on them and they're going to go to town. But right, right now, that had not happened until Jesus breathed his life into them. And here's what I mean. Many of us, and I include myself, many of us, we go to Sunday school, we sit, we listen to preachers, maybe we do devotions, maybe we've grown in our, our faith, but Jesus hasn't breathed his life into us. I mean, our, our lives may not have changed. Our souls may not have been transformed. We have not had the breath of Christ, the Holy Spirit, poured out into into our our hearts and our souls. Many people haven't. They may obey Christ. Maybe it's a general obedience. They may believe Christ. Maybe it's a general belief. But lives and souls have not been and will not be transformed until Jesus breathes the life of the Holy Spirit into you. How does this happen? I mean, like, what has to happen for, for that to occur? Well, one thing, I would say this, our world has to be rocked. You know what I'm saying? Like, something's got to rock our world. Because, see, our minds say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Our minds say, hey, I obey Jesus. Our minds say, hey, I follow Jesus. But our hearts tell us something very, very different. They do. Mine does. I believe yours does, too. The lie that our hearts always say is, you're in control of your life. You can do it. You can achieve it. You can get by. Our heart, man, my heart lies to me all the time about that. I'm like, no, I believe, Jesus, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm doing it. And our hearts, no. You're number one. You're numero uno. And then something has to happen where we feel and experience we are not number one. We have no control. We can't do it on our own. I mean, this can be several. I mean, it can be death. Some of us experience loved ones die. It can be, hey, you know, I can't get pregnant. Or, hey, experience miscarriages. It can be financial failure or financial ruin. It can be divorce. It can be moral failure in a marriage. It can be, hey, I may not be married. I mean, pick your poison. But life is at some point going to rock our world and we're going to grasp Either we have, we are, or we will be. We're going to grasp. We can't do it on our own. We're not in control. I believe this happened right here to to Mary and the disciples. I mean, they had seen Jesus die. They felt failure. They felt loss. And now they see him again. And look at verse 19. It says, on that evening, the doors were locked. I mean, think about it. The doors were locked. And then Jesus was there, physically. In Luke's gospel, Jesus ate with them. 
So Jesus was not there. Jesus then was there. And then he, he's like physically there. He's not a spirit. This rocked the disciples. This rocked Mary's world. They're like, whoa, whoa, you were, you were dead and now you're here with us. And listen, everything they knew about God, everything they knew about the resurrection was totally and fundamentally changed. And actually a lot of what we see at like Lifeway or Barnes and Nobles can talk about these things about God and the resurrection. What I mean is what they knew about God and the resurrection... In the East, in Asia, it's like when you die, you're like an infinite spirit. And in the West, in like Greece, ancient Greece, resurrection was, was personal or gods were personal. And here, this, this blew their minds. I mean, Jesus was not there and now he is, and yet he's personally talking to us. I mean, it, their world was rocked. And see, when we meet the living Savior of Christ and we have a living encounter our world's going to be rocked. And our hope is that when there are things in this world that rock our world, those things like death and financial badness and depression and divorce and those, those rock your world type gut check things, that we will turn to Christ and have another rock your world experience with a living encounter with Him. However, when we do that, we make two big mistakes. I've made both these mistakes. I guarantee you, all of us, if you've made one or the other, a lot of us have made both. Two big mistakes. Say your world's rock. Say, okay, I've got to look to Christ. I'm coming to church. This is the real deal. I'm turning my life over. We make two big mistakes. What are they? The first one is we seek our own God. We seek our own God. Or we create our own God. What do I mean by this? In this passage, Mary saw the Lord, He had risen. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, Mary. Then he says, but go. You should underline that. But go. So here's the deal. I mean, Mary, you know, look, she had a messed up life. Jesus cast out multiple demons. I mean, she was the town prostitute and everything. Hey, she thought Jesus was dead. She probably was in depression. She'd been like, hey, Jesus, let's sit over here on this bench and let's, let's talk and, you know, help me. Jesus like, no, but Go. It says, yes, I've come for you. Yes, I've risen for you. But I've risen for others. I've risen for so many people more than you. But go. But go and tell my disciples. But go and tell my brothers. Here's what I mean. We seek our own gods. Because, yeah, man, we, where our world gets rocked, we're seeking Christ. But we want a God who meets our needs. We want a God who will take care of us. We want a God that will still fit into or fulfill our agenda in life. And I got news for all of it. God isn't like that. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus has a much broader and grander agenda for the salvation of the world. And Jesus is going to say to all of us, when we come to know, He's going to say, but go. But go. But go. And we grapple with that because we're like, no, I want my deal, Jesus. I want my agenda, Jesus. I got my plan. Yeah, I'll go, but I'll go on my terms. And there's this, this struggle. Here's what I mean by that. When I say a living encounter with a living God or a living Savior, if Jesus is alive, it's a living relationship. And let's think about the living relationships in our lives. Unfortunately, people don't do what we want them to do, do they? I mean, those people that are alive. 
It's not like they're a bunch of robots. And people have disagreements. And people challenge us and people push us. And sometimes they're, they're conflicts. Wow, shocker. They're conflicts in life with other people who are alive. And if this is a living relationship, we can't say, hey, God, I'll go, but I'll go on my terms. Hey, God, I'll do what you say, but it's my agenda. And let me make sure it meets my agenda. God said, no, no, no. I got a grander, bigger agenda that I want you to be part of. I mean, think about living relationships. A couple of simple examples here. My dad. Hey, I love my dad. There's a living relationship. Thankfully, he's still alive. We're going up to see him, have a family, you know, Fourth of July celebration at the family lake house. Okay, my dad loves Elvis. I like Elvis, but I mean, it's a whole different degree of love for Elvis. My aunt loves Elvis. My brother loves Elvis. So, you know, they're, they have threatened, I use the word threatened, they have threatened at our family lake house, which is like 30 cabs around this lake, to get an Elvis impersonator out there, okay? I'm like, Dad, man, you know, I, I don't know if, if that's a good idea. I, I don't know if other cabins are going to appreciate Elvis being bolted out. Um, but, hey, he wants to do that. There's this living relationship, you know. We may disagree, but I love him. My wife, it's her birthday this week. Happy birthday again, sweetie. My wife, but I was like, what do you want for your birthday? And, you know, for me, for my birthday, I was like, hey, you know, I mean, just being honest and transparent, let's for a day, like, celebrate John Hugh. You know what I'm saying? Like, do that. And um, let's, you know, at least one day can be about me. But so I asked my wife, you know, hey, celebrate Linda for a day. And she's like, um, can you let me sleep in and you take care of the boys? Hey, it's your birthday. Do what you want. For lunch, foot long, Italian BMT sub. I mean, I would, you know, I would, I would have a different lunch. Hey, it's what she wanted and love her. Now, I did give, I have gotten you a nice gift, which she hasn't opened yet. But anyway, it's just, you know, they're different people and people like different things. And these are living relationships and people just ain't going to do what we want, want them to do. Even my son, Jack, I love baseball. I'm like, Jack, let's go play baseball. I'm like, no, let's build a train set. Like, Jack, I really want you to play baseball. I mean, I want to play baseball. Let's, let's play baseball. He's like, no, I want to build a train So, you know, I build the train set. I'm saying our relationship with God, it's a living relationship. Jesus is alive. And it's going to be like a living relationship. So what I'm saying is there are going to be challenges for us. God's going to call us to do things that, that we probably don't want to do. God's going to send us to places that we don't want to go. And some of us are going to say no. And some of us are going to resist. And some of us, and maybe at a point, God's going to stop asking. Say, okay, have your way. I guarantee you, many of you right now are in a conflict with God. Now, conflict's a strong word, but like God is calling you to do something and you, there's a resistance. Surrender. His agenda is so much better than our Honestly, personal, selfish agenda. That's what we do. We seek our own God. Mistake number two. I've made this mistake. Many of us make this mistake. Our world gets rocked. We want to turn to Christ. Some of us say, I'm going to create my God. We don't like do that explicitly, but we try to create our God. We pick and choose. Second mistake, we get worn down. We get burned out. We get burned out on our, our godliness or our efforts to be godly or all of this. I mean, you know, from, hey, i got to pray to know God. Hey, i got to do my devotion time to know God. Hey, i got to go to my small group. Hey, i got to go to church. Hey, i got to serve in church. Hey, i got to do and do 
and do, and we get worn down. I loved uh, Dr. Kathy Philippi. Dr. Philippi, she gave her testimony last week for Honduras, but you said the same thing. So much of our Christian life is this, it's added to this checklist. And hey, if we don't do it, we just we get fried. Or we feel guilty, or if we do it, then we get fried. And we're like, man, this whole great Christian relationship that I pre I mean, it ain't all just kicking, you know? I mean, I've felt like that. I think some of y'all have as well. So, so what, do we, what do we do? Again, world's rocked. Seek our own God. And then we're like, man, we just get burned out. Trying to be Christianese, trying to, you know, do the right thing. What, what's the answer? Back to Scripture. Mary saw Jesus. First witness. He says, but go. Go tell, go tell my brothers. First thing Jesus does when he sees the disciples, what's he do? He, he doesn't say, remember the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say, practice the golden rule. He doesn't even say here, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Get your plans together, get the strategy. Get the church plan strategy out. None of that. He simply shows them, verse 20, his hands in his side. He comes in and he shows them his hands where the nails have been. Shows them the side where the sword was pierced. He's saying, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done for you. Before he even breathes on them, he says, look at what I've done. And the disciples could be like, for me? I mean, for me? Like, yes. So the big mistake we make is, man, we just get worn down practicing to be Mr. and Mrs. Perfect Christian Christ follower. What we need to do is rewind and just look at the hands of Jesus and look at what he's done. Look at what he's done for you. For you. And, you know, there's some people who really think this. I mean, there's some people who really think, you wouldn't say it. Some people would say, you know, Jesus really didn't need to do that for me because I'm so good already and so holy already and so special already and so gifted already. I mean, I know people actually think that. They would not say it, but that happens. And then there's others who would say, no, Jesus would never do that for me because there's so much shame in their life and they're dealing with the guilt and the shame of their sin. The good news is, Jesus is saying, for you. For you. And, and really, I, I believe, till we get that, till we get it in our minds that, yes, Jesus did it for us. Jesus did it for me. Jesus did it for you. Until we really get that, till we get it out of our head that we're not so gifted, that we need, we needed and need a Savior. And then also, but there is a Savior. And so regardless of what we've done, Jesus did something so, so much, so far greater for you. Christianity. Christ, different from every other religion because it's a living encounter with a living Savior. As in, when you meet Christ, when He breathes on you, it is good, it's, it's, 
I can't even describe it. It's something alive. Something is going on. It's, it's, it's alive, that encounter. Because Jesus is alive. And it's a living Savior. And we get so consumed with the here and now, and this world, and this life. And Jesus wants, to be, wants us to be concerned with our entire lives, our eternal lives, our souls. I brought this rope up here. And it's helped me, this, this illustration has helped me many times in my own life. It's like it is, uh, you know, if you just looked at this rope, some of you may be able to see it on the stage for some of you can't. You know, our lives, our earthly lives, you know, from when we're born to when we die, I mean, it's like this. It's like this. And there's this, this much longer life for eternity. I mean, the rope would go on and on and on, but that is our, that's our life. That's what Jesus wants us to be thinking about. Not just some part of our lives, but our entire lives. And until we, until we get that, man, we're just going to be getting worn out on trying to be a good Christian. But when we look at his hands and we realize what Jesus has done and we realize that he did it for us, it's personal. That he's alive. He gives us life for eternal life. It changes everything. Today, some of your worlds are being rocked. I mean, I, I know personally some worlds are being rocked. If they're not being rocked, they will be rocked. Don't try to seek your own God. Don't try to get God to fit into your agenda. And please... Don't be getting burned out. First and foremost, look at his hands. See what he's done. Think about what he's done. Feel what he's done. And he'll breathe on you. And just say, Jesus, give me your spirit. Ask, seek the Holy Spirit, and he'll fill you. When we know, when we fully know his unconditional love, only then will there be unconditional obedience say that again. It's only when we know that Jesus Christ has unconditional love for you. It's only then that we'll be unconditionally obedient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are alive. You are here. And their world's being rocked. Their world's being rocked by life. Maybe it is Maybe it is death. Maybe it is brokenness of a relationship. Maybe it's brokenness of a marriage. Maybe it's financial ruin. Maybe it's worry and anxiety about this little piece of the, the ropes of our life. Maybe it's a fence that people have. I pray. I pray the Holy Spirit would rock worlds for Christ. I pray that we would surrender and say... Dear Lord, yeah, I've been living my own Christianese agenda. I want to live your agenda. That we would say, dear Lord, I will go wherever it is you want me to go. Dear Lord, that we would see and just, just feel what you've done for us. The nails in your hands. What you've done. It is, it is life. 
It is, it is all there is to life. It will break all of our spirits when we think we can control our lives, that we can control people, that we can control situations, that we can control this life here, but that you have, you have given us something that is so much better and it just starts and ends in Jesus Christ, the living Savior. May all of us, for the first time or for another time, have a living encounter with you today. In his name we pray, amen.